Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey, what's up, my Woods people? I'm Tyler Jones, and this is the Backcountry Miniseries from the Element Podcast. Casey, fill them in. Since we are diving headfirst into the backcountry hunting this season, we decided to call in some help and talk to some experts that know how to crush it in the backcountry. So make sure and subscribe, and if this is helpful, we'd love for you guys to give us a five-star rating and an iTunes review. Absolutely. Now let's get into it, because I still have a lot of Mountain House flavors to try before September gets here. All right, today on the show, we've got Jay Scott of Jay Scott Outdoors. Jay, what is happening, man? How are you guys? Great. Uh, a little warm. It's hot down here in Texas, but I understand you are where it is a lot cooler than we are. Is that right? I am. I spend the summers uh, in the fall in uh, Colorado. Uh, my summer place is actually between Glenwood Springs and Aspen Ooh. and here in the Roaring Fork Valley. And we usually get here about uh, the 15th of May, right after my Gould's turkey hunts down in Mexico. We come straight up here. And, you know, this year's been a kind of a crazy year because of all the snowfall. Uh, Colorado in general has all across the Southwest, but Colorado just got absolutely pounded with uh, snow, especially late snow. You know, a lot of that uh, March, April, uh, snow and our runoff, to be honest with you guys, is probably a full 30 days behind as far as our rivers and such. The Roaring Fork River that runs right here, um, right down the valley, uh, it's just becoming fishable, whereas it's normally fishable, you know, the end of June. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's good. I've been hiking a lot in the high country and, you know, the um, although we haven't had just tons and tons of monsoonal type rain, uh, you know, showers periodic here and there, but uh, the, the vegetation is just, it looks like a tropical rainforest out there. And, uh, you know, the elk and the deer and just the animals in general seem to be doing really good. So, yeah, it's the fall, this fall 2019 season all across the Southwest is something that, you know, we're all super excited about and, and uh, can't wait for it to get here. You know, there's antelope hunts uh, starting here in Colorado and, you know, uh, mule deer hunts in Arizona, it's um, stuff's really starting to happen right now. A bunch of my buddies have gotten back from doll sheep hunts. So it's on, you know, <laughs> 19 season is here. I yes. know, man, it's crazy. We, uh, for us, it's a lot of uh, trying to run and make it to where we are not or the least amount of flatlander as we can be where we're from. You know, it's pretty <laughs> tough to do. But, uh, you know, I was up in Colorado, I guess uh, the second week of July, and I mean, the rivers were raging. You could pretty much only fish tailwaters and high mountain streams, and that was it. You know, all the lakes up high were frozen over, ninety-five percent or so, no fishing to be done there. And we we kind of struggled to fish, uh, or to find just fishable water. You know, the yeah. all the tailwaters were okay, like the Taylor and some of the other stuff was, was pretty good. But it was a, it was a different year. I think I saw that some of the snowfall was up to two thousand percent of the averages or something like that. Is that right? 
you know, I saw some crazy numbers myself. I don't know exactly how they measure that, but yeah, there was some ridiculous uh, snowfall totals out there for sure. And, you know, my fishing has been fairly limited to the, the ranch that we live on here. Um, it's got quite a bit of Spring Creek fishing here. Uh, but, you know, I've made two trips up to the Green River and caught the cicada hatch. And then Ooh. we hiked the boat down in the Gunnison Gorge and just caught the salmon fly hatch just head on um, and fished the eagle uh, a couple days ago. And, you know, here before I head over to the Ot 6 Ranch, which is in south central Colorado, uh, here around the 1st of September, I'll get quite a few days here on the Roaring Fork and uh, kind of all around the Colorado and in this area right here. So it definitely uh, has been one of these uh, summers that, you know, it's awesome because we need the moisture, we need mm-hmm. the water, it's good for the streams. But as a fisherman, uh, you know, normally I would already have big calluses on my hands from rowing my raft and my boat around <laughs> and what have you. And, you know, really haven't seen that. So um, you know, I've rode some, but not, you know, normally I'd probably have, you know, 40 days in by now and I've probably got 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. You know, the vegetation is, is lush and I think the elk and deer especially are um, doing well pretty much all over the Southwest. Something that's, uh, interesting, our monsoonal rains, which usually come, you know, in Arizona, I, I live half the year in Arizona. Um, and that's where I'm from. I guided elk for 20 years in, in the state of Arizona and our monsoonal rains usually kick in around the 4th of July. Uh, and to be honest with you, really, we didn't have much rain until probably about the 25th of July. So as wet of a winter that we had and as wet of a spring that we had, we really did not follow that up, which I was just hoping for the perfect storm of you know, great winter, great spring and great monsoonal. Well, so far the monsoons have really not hit widespread across Arizona, which then all funnels up into Utah and New Mexico. And where I'm going with that is a lot of my buddies that are guiding are saying, you know, antler growth looks good, but the country looks dry. We could sure use some moisture just to green it up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then me being, you know, kind of a selfish pig, just wanting Arizona (laughs) to just have the biggest, most giant bulls around Um, you know, I think, I, I think by not having that monsoonal moisture, it doesn't affect the elk as much, but I, I think the deer can benefit from it. Um, but we'll see it's, it's still above average and, um, you know, they've already had some really good bulls shot, a uh, really big buck on the, on the strip was shot today. And, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be another great year for sure. Yeah. That's exciting, especially for, for someone in your profession, you know, and I, I think it's cool that, you know, you can kind of plot these years out and, and kind of know what to expect and what to look forward to. And uh, something that I, I'm very interested in that uh, you're a proponent of is is you are an antler guy. Like, you enjoy large-scoring animals. <laughs> and, and now it's it's almost like it's cool across social media to to say, oh, it's not about the horns and this and that. Well, it, it, isn't, it isn't until it is, right? Because we all dream of going these trophy units and, and being able to – to hunt for really big world-class animals and i think that when people do that they almost sometimes take away from you know how rare how majestic of an, a creature that is can you speak to that a little bit yeah for sure i mean I, I on my podcast i don't make any i don't make any excuses i am a trophy hunter i will till the day i die i love the meat that doesn't mean i don't take the meat i think trophy hunting has got a bad connotation mm-hmm. uh, i love being selective i love being able to field judge and look at animals and try and harvest the most mature animals I can. Uh, when I do catch some flack on my Instagram, because I do try and help and educate people to be as accurate as they can with their field judging, that's simply coming from a standpoint of, I want to be, uh, accurate. Uh, I want to be, um, credible and I don't have, I want to eliminate the factor of saying, oh, that bull was a giant. He was 390. Well, how long were his points? Well, I don't know. He was 390. <laughs> so, you know, with all of the animals that I hunt, I try and study. I try and keep lots of photos. I try and keep as much data as I can to be as accurate. Being a professional guide, when a client asks you, what's that ram score, or buck score, or bull score? 
you know, I want to be the guy and I always have wanted, wanted to be the guy that's credible. Um, mm -hmm. not from a standpoint of an ego standpoint, but more to be reliable. And, and, you know, when a client says, you know, how old is that Ram? And, you know, how big is he? I want to come very, very close to the correct score. Uh, and so I try and focus and I have for a long time, try and focus on helping people, uh, you know, be able to, uh, analyze and to kind of step away from the emotion of the situation and, you know, be able to put, uh, number one, body size and kind of age on animals and judge every animal, you know, how big is the body? Okay. He's got a giant body. That's going to make his rack look different or his horns look different, whatever we're judging. Um, but it, you know, it all goes back to, uh, in Arizona growing up there, uh, and, you know, having, in my opinion, probably the best trophy hunting as far as, uh, mature animals anywhere in the country. Uh, it's important. A lot of guys wait 20, 25 years to draw tags. And I never wanted to be the guy that said it was a, you know, 360 bull and you get up there and it's 315 and it happens all the time to people. And I think the reason it happens is they don't take the time to really study and analyze and try and be as accurate as possible. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes I'll get people that criticize and say that, oh, you're just a, an antler snob. You're just, you know, I say, well, in my opinion, everybody's a trophy hunter and, and the, and the, I don't know anybody that if there's two bucks standing there and there's a two point buck, that's, you know, a two year old buck. And then there's a 30 inch buck with kickers off both sides. I don't know a single person that says I'm going to shoot the two year old yeah. uh, be, because his meat is, is going to be more tender. I just, I don't run into any of those type of people. There may be people <laughs> that say, Oh yeah, I'd shoot the two point. But the reality is, you know, those people are going to shoot the, the 30 inch buck with the trash uh, all the time. Yeah. You know, there's, there's not going to be a time. I just don't see it. So we're all trophy hunters, uh, I believe. And, you know, the term's been thrown around in the media. It's been politic politicized and what have you. But if, you know, if anybody spends any amount of time with me in the woods, they understand that I want to shoot the buck that is on the downhill slide or that is at the top of, 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 you know, his peak performance and, uh, over some of the younger animals. And I want to be able to accurately tell someone if it's, you know, 180 inch buck or, a, you know, 170 inch Ram or a 390 inch bull, uh, just from a credibility standpoint, I just think, you know, having people around that can accurately field judge when you guys are going on a hunt, your buddy goes out and he glasses up a bull and you've got some good action going, he pulls you off to go look at another bull. And you're like, man, I had four bulls bigger than that one where I just was. So <laughs> that's my whole goal of trying to help people evaluate. And I have people send me, you know, photos of stuff all the time and trying to get my opinion. And I just try and call it what it is. I don't ever try and sugarcoat it or make it sound better than it is. I just try and, you know, call a spade a spade. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I've never heard it really put that way, but it makes so much sense. And I actually tag KC all the time in your posts whenever you do, like, <laughs> hey, guess this bull, you know, kind of thing. Because, you know, we got, um, as we talked about earlier off air, we, he drew a pretty good tag. So um, it's, it's not that he's going to be disappointed with, an elk at all but when you put in for that tag you expect that if you draw that tag you have a chance at a pretty big bull and so um you know we want to be well, pretty accurate there and so i yeah and and i would also like to say that you know i know there's lots of hunts where any bull or any buck is is a phenomenal feat mm -hmm. so you know the guys out there listening that maybe live in states where the, you know, the, there's not super high in quality or mature animals. I totally get it. Like I know that in Colorado OTC shooting, any bull is a, in most cases is a fantastic bull. I get it. But when you look at New Mexico, you look at Utah, you look at, uh, you know, Arizona, some, some of the units in Nevada, what have you, they're, you know, there are units that take a long, long time to draw and you're going to see a lot of bulls and you're going to have a lot of opportunities. So why not educate yourself and try and figure out, you know, exactly what it is you're looking at so that you can make an educated decision. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the guy that, you know, encourages people to go the full length of the hunt and, you know, 
I'd rather weed through a bunch of bulls and shoot the one I want than just shoot one on the first day and go, man, if I would have done a little more research and figured it out, you know, this is just a, this is a bull, this is a caliber of bull that you'll see every single day on this hunt. Mm-hmm. And you never give your chance to, sh- uh, you know, a chance to shoot a big bull. So, uh, or buck or what have you. So, you know, it, yeah. it, it, I, I get it though, when there's certain hunts and certain units and certain animals that it's like, if you get one, it's a successful hunt. I'm all for that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you put, when you've been putting in for 20 years, I mean, do you really want your hunt to end that first day unless it actually is like world-class, you know? And so, uh, you know, you kind of, it's like, I'm putting in for 20 days, 20 years and uh, my hunt lasted a day and I shot a bull that was, uh, like you said, an everyday occurrence there. Then you kind of, uh, you kind of have to take all that into, into consideration. And, and I've never heard of, you know, from, from the, uh, professional standpoint. And I, I appreciate that because, I'm a wedding videographer uh, by trade. I do high-end wedding films, and um, I don't. There are things that I really don't love uh, about my clients. Um, their vanity uh, in a lot of situations, and just the big show that it becomes at a wedding, instead of more focused on a husband marrying a wife and, and the two um, joining as one and just having that relationship and that moment together. And so it turns into this kind of circus for Instagram kind of thing. And But the thing is, in the end of the day, I'm hired to do a job. So I do what that bride would appreciate. You know what I mean? Uh, as long sure. as it's not against my morals or values, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, that's what I that's what I do. So uh, it's, it's in a similar boat as to what you're, you're talking about there. You're trying to do something as accurate as you possibly can so that your, your, your client is satisfied in the end, as opposed to being disappointed. Yeah. And I feel like the reputation, you know, that's really your word and reputation are all you have when it comes down to it. And I've just always tried to be accurate. I've always tried to be credible. Um, the, the biggest thing that would just you know, rock me to my core is if someone says I wasn't credible or I wasn't accurate. Mm-hmm. Now everybody, everybody can make mistakes, and I've I've dang sure made you know made my own uh, mistakes. But you know, being able to say something and have someone say, "Okay, Jay's saying it's this and it's this," and you know, everything he's not just throwing something out there on a whim. He's he's studied it and he's trying to be as accurate as possible and you know i think we've all seen it where we have hunting partners and people in hunting camp that you know oh i saw six bucks and you know (laughs) i saw you know three of them were 30 inches and you know had kickers off both sides and you just shake your head and you're like yeah right yeah (laughs) and then you have someone that comes in and says hey man i saw a buck that you really probably need to focus on and take a look at and depending on that person's character and their track record depends on whether, you know, that it dictates whether you're going to go even look for that buck. Right. You know, uh, my hunting partner, Dar Colburn, if he ever tells me, hey, I, I think you need to come over and take a look at it. I mean, I run there. I get there as fast as I can because, you know, it's usually something giant. And I, the whole time I'm, you know, like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Just get over here. Get over here. <laughs> fast. You know, yeah. so. You know, and we've all had the same guys that are like, yeah, I saw, you know, 400 inch bull and then a, he, he beat up a 380 bull. And, you know, <laughs> you're just like, and yeah. then you don't even go there that afternoon because, you know, he's full of bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be that guy. Right. So don't be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you said you were a guide for elk for 20 years. Um, I guess you've moved kind of in the sheep direction a little bit more or. No, um, to be honest with you, I was uh, I guided elk in the state of Arizona for 20 years, and in 2017, a good friend of mine uh, bought a ranch, uh, the it's called the Ot Six Ranch in South Central Colorado, and asked me to be kind of quote unquote the hunt manager. Uh, it's just for him and his his family. Uh, it, we we are in the Colorado Ranching for Wildlife program, so we do have one public. A bull tag uh, that we give, and then we have uh, some cow tags in December and January. Uh, and so I was faced with the decision of, do I want to give up guiding? So 20 years in a row, I took the entire month of September off. Not like you hear guys, oh yeah, I'm hunting in September. I'm taking September. Like I took off and was gone from the entire month and even into the first week of October. I First time I heard an elk bugle, I told myself, I don't ever want to miss that month of September. So I've spent, you know, now probably 20, I'm getting old, but let's see, (laughs) probably 23 years of spending the entire 
I mean, waking up every single morning at 3 a.m. in September, going and videoing and chasing and taking photos and, and, you know, calling and, you know, just messing with elk. I love elk. Um, you know, I still guide sheep, uh, in Arizona, uh, this December, I've got some sheep hunters and we still do coos deer hunting in Mexico and then Gould's Turkey in Mexico, uh, in the spring. But, you know, elk was such a focus of mine in the state of Arizona for so long, but this opportunity to be, uh, on an unbelievable private ranch, uh, and basically do exactly what I did for 20 years. And that's, you know, video these elk, monitor these elk, glass these elk, you know, um, just watch them categorize them, classify them, you know, and, and, you know, we're trying to, uh, build a phenomenal elk herd, uh, you know, in the state of Colorado there at the Ot six. And, you know, I think we've had a couple of good years of shooting some management bulls and, you know, someday I think it will be recognized as one of the top ranches in the West, uh, for bulls. Uh, so that's kind of the shift of my focus. And, um, it's it's yeah it's a sweet gig cool yeah that's very cool man and uh <laughs> i've kind of followed along a little bit uh and been able to at least see some of the media that you've been producing from there you know just some giant bulls and great pictures and video of just some some killer bulls and i so much appreciate um when you do those uh, instagram things where it is the guess the score let's talk about this and and evaluate that because i am one of those hunters who has spent my whole hunting life uh, on the over-the-counter units and yep. uh, you know the first uh, what is it five-inch brow tine bull that comes in or whatever <laughs> it's you legal know. Yeah, yeah it's legal I'm, I'm doing my best actually first cow you know first legal animal yeah. um, because I, I like to eat but I love to shoot big things but I just never have had the chance and now uh, I kind of since I've drawn a, a New Mexico Gila wilderness tag uh, I'm having to shift focus a touch. I'm, I'm trying to manage my expectations, of course, but I do need to consider like, hey, uh, if a raggy comes in, I, I probably am not going to shoot him, you know. So I, I need to be able to make those little quick, you know, determinations on is this really a, a shooter bull or is this something that uh, I'd be happier extending my hunt as opposed to, you know, ending it now. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. So yeah, I'm and sure. I, I think, sorry to interrupt, but no. I, you know, to further that, I think you have to ask yourself and, you know, when I go out on my own personal hunts and such, I ask myself, what would I be happy with on the last day? Mm -hmm. So would I be happy? Am I fine? Am I fine going without one? And, you know, if this is one of your first, you know, prime hunts, you know, maybe you're saying, I I really want to get a bull. So I want to leave. So kind of ask yourself a few questions, you know, I really want to get a bull. Okay. That's, that's, I'm, I want to leave with a bull. Okay. What size would I just be over the moon with if I killed, you know, a 350 bull or a 330 bull or a 380 bull? What would I just be over the moon? Say, well, geez, if I could get anything, you know, remotely close to 350, I'd be just stoked. Okay. So then you go into it with the expectation of like, I'm hunting for a 350 bull. And if a 300 bull comes in bugling on the first day, you've already set your mind that you want a 350 bull. The only thing I would encourage you, like I talked to a lot of hunters, is don't set the bar so high that it's not achievable and takes the fun out of it. If you know you'd be tickled pink with a 326 by 6 then say, I'd really like a 360, 370, but I'd be tickled pink with a 320. So, you know, if in the first couple days I get a beautiful opportunity at a perfect 6 by 6 you know, 320 class that's bugling and comes right in and I can make a great shot, then shoot it and be happy. Um, or on the flip side, you say, Hey, even though I've never killed the bull, I want to, you know, a 350 plus then hunt the whole time and kill a 350 plus or don't kill. I mean, at some point you have to go through the rounds of, you know, drawing back on a bull, maintaining your composure, making a great shot and, you know, going through all of those steps. Uh, and certainly guys that have shot, you know, a bunch of bulls, uh, I'm, I firmly believe that, when, you know, because of repetition, they are probably going to be a better hunter or a better uh, archer in that situation because they've, they've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, set your expectations, you know, and, and I always say go into the hunt trying to have as much fun as you possibly can. For me, uh, you know, I've shot a handful of bulls and I've shot a handful of good ones. 
I'm wanting to shoot something that's, you know, really gets me going that I look at and say, man, that's different than anything I've ever shot. Or, you know, I want to shoot X, Y, Z bull. And, you know, I, I had a tag in 2016 in the Beaver, one of the best units in Utah. And I had a great friend of mine helping me on the hunt and he had scouted out some bulls and had a history with one particular bull. And, um, I saw a bunch of the trail cameras and I said, you know, that's the bull, that's the bull I want to hunt. And I said, you know, I've shot a lot of big bulls. If I kill this bull, it won't be the biggest bull I've killed. It's probably one of the biggest in this unit, but I'm, I, that, if, if I don't get that bull, I'm going home with that one. And I mean, I hunted the entire hunt, had two opportunities at him and, quite honestly should have got it done i never released an arrow but um you know that to me is fun so everybody has a little bit different threshold of what is fun to you fun to me is going down to mexico on a personal tag and saying you know my biggest buck's 134 inches i want to shoot a giant you know i want to shoot the (laughs) biggest buck i can find and i've eaten so many tags it's unbelievable that to me is fun um so you know not to not to keep kicking the dead horse, but figure out what it is that you want out of it and then pursue it. Yeah. No, yeah, that's totally cool, man. And that's that's kind of, um, while we've been pulling the audience so much and talking to, to some people who kind of have experience, you know, with with elk and with big elk and with, with cool units and stuff because it's just not something I understand. And, and it's something that you really do have a great grasp of, and I appreciate that. So, you know, you talked about earlier um, guys who have been drawn on, on big elk a lot and, and how, uh, that kind of, uh, bolsters their ability to continue to shoot more big elk because, you know, it kind of takes the edge off a little bit. And that uh, the broader version of that is just more time spent doing this is going to help you and, and give you a better grasp of what it takes to actually get in the backcountry and get it done. And that's kind of what we wanted to, to quiz you about a little bit. You know, you've had a lot of a lot of success through the years and you've had a lot of experience doing things in many ways especially in the southwestern part of of the country which is kind of a unique area so um what are some of the like really common hurdles that you're gonna have to kind of get over if you are going to go to that part of the country and, and try to to hunt in the back country well i think one of the things first off is you're gonna have to understand and I try and explain this when I'm when I'm guiding hunters, whatever hunt it may be, but in particular on elk is it's not always going to be like the videos. It's not (laughs) always going to be like you read in the magazine articles. There's going to be times during the hunt when it's an absolute grind. There's going to be times during the hunt. Now, now, how much time do you have to hunt? Do you have you set aside a certain amount of time or? Uh, Well, I'm Tyler and I both are self-employed, so since this is the you know uh, dream tag, I'm gonna be there the whole time and hopefully a day early to get in and, and maybe scout around a little bit okay so like nine or ten days right? yes sir mm-hmm. okay so you've got the whole time to hunt you've got to understand that there's going to be uh, certain circumstances whether it be weather whether it be you know other hunters whether it be the elk are just not cooperating the elk are not in the right spot you know you, you could go chase them but you could blow them out there's, it's going to be a grind. It's not just going to be a bugle fest all the time and just be unbelievable, it, although it could be. Um, and I think people are like, man, it's been three days and I haven't gotten a shot opportunity, so now I'm just going to shoot anything. Well, that's fine. You absolutely have the right to just say, you know, I was going into it trying to shoot a 330 and now I'll shoot any bull. But I would, I would urge you and urge other people that are listening like set your goal and set your mind to and get your mind right of i know it's going to be tough i know it's not always going to be great i know they're not always going to be just screaming and coming into the call and know that you're going to get two or three or four opportunities in that 10-day stretch and you've got to be able to capitalize on those opportunities so as long as you don't look at it as like you know, oh, it's going to be a scream fest from day one to, you know, day 10, that you know that, okay, there's going to be some grind, it's going to get hot, it's going to, you know, you're going to have lightning, and you're going to have rain, and you're going to have all kinds of stuff that it's going to be a challenge. I mean, you guys are, I take it you're not taking horses, you're going to go in on on foot? Yes, sir, that's correct. Okay, so you're going to go on on foot, and, you know, some of the challenges that you're going to have, I think, as an elk hunter is, the wind always has to be right, 
or else you're going to blow the whole gig. Mm-hmm. So part of that is you guys are going to have to stay clean. You're going to have to, in my mind, use like unscented deodorant, all wash all your clothing and unscented uh, laundry detergent. And you're going to want to have a change of clothes that you're constantly being able to wash out, hang dry and try and get as much human scent off of you as you can. That's a hurdle uh, in itself of when you're in the backcountry and you stink to high heaven, you guys are going to have to figure out how can we shower how can we capitalize on rainwater to, to do that? You know, is there streams, springs, uh, you know, water holes uh, nearby that we can get water so that we can keep ourselves clean? But I think that's going to be a huge part of it because, um, you know, it the more that elk are able to smell you, the more you're going to blow out a certain area and you're going to have to move your camp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the challenge for also, uh, I think, is, you know, after the hunt, once you get a bull down, I mean, you guys are going to be who knows where in the Gila wilderness and you're going to have to carry it out. So, you know, I would say potentially have someone scheduled with horses that could come in if you shoot them a, a, a text on the inReach device or or if one of you has to walk out and, you know, shoot them a text and say, come get us or plan on, OK, how far are we going in? And if I get one in here, are we, are the two of us going to be able to get this elk out? Um, you know, those are some challenges. The other are, are like tactics and strategies that you're going to use. Uh, you know, are you going to plan on calling a lot? Are you going to plan on stalking a lot? Um, you kind of have to be able to adapt to what are the elk doing? Um, you know, they're bugling like crazy. You don't have to call much. You can just slip in there and check them out. And, and, um, you know, so trying to trying to kind of figure your way um, mm-hmm. in a new unit and in a new place, I, I would consider as a hurdle. Uh, and you know, uh, you know, trying to figure out what gear works for you. You know, have you eaten your freeze dried meals and figured out which food sits better with your stomach? You know, which you don't want to get in there and just be you know having to run to the bushes all the time. So, <laughs> you know, what works good for you? How much water do you need? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do you sleep on an air mattress? Uh, you know, is your rain water, is your rain fly water tied on your tent? I mean, those are all hurdles that I think you're going to have to kind of figure out. Uh, you know, how about your feet? Are they going to hold up, uh, the entire time with the amount of weight that you're going to have to carry in. And, and, you know, do you have boots that work really well for you? Mm-hmm. Those yep. are all things that I think you're going to have to think about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So if you don't mind, let's break that down a little bit and maybe we can just ask you kind of what has worked for you in the past. And the biggest thing for me that comes to mind when I think of the Southwest is, uh, man, I've hunted, western Colorado most of my life and every drainage there's water it's not a big deal and I think that it's going to be different where we go so having water on hand and and being able to purify water is going to be a big deal what do you use for that situation so I mean there's a lot of great water purifiers out there I have several from different several different manufacturers one thing I would do is um, recommend getting it and using it making sure that that unit works really really well um, and, you know, drinking the water out of it, making sure that your equipment, uh, you know, works perfectly. The last thing you want to do is get out there and have a water purification, you know, have to purify your water and you get there and you're like, crap, it doesn't work right. <laughs> or, or you get out there and be like, man, that the hose has a hole in it, or look at this, it's right out of the package and something's wrong. So get it, use it, be comfortable with it, you know, make sure the filter's clean, uh, and, and, you know, there's tons of great manufacturers out there and I have, I'd have to even look at the brands. I have several different ones. Um, I like the ones that obviously, um, I don't know how to explain it, but where you would pump it more like a, a bike pump, mm-hmm. um, rather than the ones that have the handle that you kind of crank down more like, um, would it be like a like a pair of pliers how you would crank one in down i like the one where you actually push you know you you actually hold uh they just screw into your nalgene bottle and you literally can just push like a bike pump Mm -hmm. Uh, those seem to work uh best uh you know we use those in in um uh the the uh, alaska goat hunt uh we use those and 
you know, I use them a lot in the Gunnison Gorge as well. And they all are different. Find the one that works best for you and then make sure you use it and make sure that the unit that you're taking is operational. It might be a good, good idea that, that, uh, both of you take them, mm-hmm. but then simple things like those saw, saw your minis too. Um, just those little filters that you can always have on you, whether in your fanny pack or in your pocket or in your pack. Um, and you know, they even make them where you can just sip it like a straw. Uh, th- those work as well. Mm-hmm. So are you, are you carrying extra water with you when you're in dry country? Are you, you have, you have, we've had guys that talk about dirty bags or just extra water bags that they carry with them. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to want to have those platypus bags. That's, you know, a dirty bag. I would label it, uh, and then have your clean water bags as well. It it depends how much you guys are going to move around. You know, I don't, I haven't been in the 16 B that wilderness, and I, so I haven't analyzed it and looked at it to see, you know, is there drainages with water? Are there puddles around? Are there stock tanks around? You know, what's in there? Uh, and, you know, so you guys could probably tell me, I would probably plan on hunting in an area where there's quite a bit of water because usually where there's quite a bit of water, there's going to be quite a bit of elk. Mm-hmm. On, on a daily basis, when you're going to actually be going out and hunting, I wouldn't take a whole lot of water with you. I would take the ability to purify water you know, and have a Nalgene bottle that you can constantly keep filling and then, you know, camp somewhere where you have good access to water, where you guys can take turns going down and making sure that you always have a good supply of water when you get back from an, from a day's hunt and, you know, Hey, I'm going to go down and, and get us a bunch of water and, you know, basically stockpile your water so that you never come back to camp and you're beat you've shot a bull and now you got to go get your water, have some of those, you know, clean bags, um, ready to go back at camp. And then I would day hunt from there and, you know, you might have to move camp though. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I would go as light as possible if I was you guys. Um, I don't know what kind of clothing and that type of gear you've got, um, you know, set to wear. Uh, but you know, I, I would, personally i'd probably be wearing the kuyu tiburon pants uh at, you know definitely probably be wearing that and then for rain gear i'd look at you know the kutana rain gear or the chugach rain gear um you know something very very lightweight um you're gonna probably get some thunderstorms and some lightning and and you know so having some rain gear is going to be huge because you definitely don't want to get soaked the good news is your temperatures uh you know it's going to be fairly warm um, you know, and probably even warmer than what you're used to in, in Colorado as well. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I, this is kind of a random question <clears throat> in regards to something that you said, but, um, the Gila river actually goes through that area. And so, um, we should have some access there <clears throat> to water, but I guess my question is more a hunting question here. Um, you, cause you said that elk usually tend to congregate around water or areas with lots of water. Um, do you know, do you, do they drink out of rivers very often or are they most of the time trying to find a still water? No, I mean, I found that animals really like live water. Um, they'll, they'll choose live water a lot over, they'll drink wherever, whatever's convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the Gila river as far as it sounds like a big, you know, I, I know where it flows into Arizona. The one thing I would caution you is Make sure that the the Gila isn't like a, a thousand foot drop down to the water. So you got to camp yeah. and go all the way down to get your water. <laughs> that would be terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so maybe look at some of the smaller creek drainages that feed into the Gila. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really study Google Earth and, and try and figure out because what you don't want to do is you don't want to be down in the bottom of a canyon stuck down there where every morning you've got to hike up and out of it to get to where you want to be or where you have to hike down in the canyon and back up to your camp. Um, so, you know, I would hunt, I would hunt on the map areas that have lots of water, um, but maybe possibly not a main, main drainage like the Gila river drainage. Now you may be able to look at the topo map and say, Oh yeah, it's, it's only a, you know, 200 foot, um, drop down and back to get water. Well, that's fine. But 
when you start talking about, you know, a thousand to 12, 1500 feet just to go get water, that's going to wear you guys out in a heartbeat. Sure. Yeah, I can definitely see that for sure. Just being, you know, no matter what we do, uh, we're still flatlanders. So it, it is going to be, you know, just something to deal with. Luckily, it's not quite as high of elevation as what some places are, you know, so it's not going to be terrible. It's going to be a lot like, you know, spending some time in some of the Colorado places. But you were talking about earlier making sure you go in light um, and really in relation to camp specifically, um, you said that you thought it would be a good idea to possibly uh, base camp and then day hunt out from there and then have the ability to move camp. So when you're doing that and say it's a situation like us where we don't have horses, we can't bring in canvas, uh, what kind of shelters are you using for that situation? So I, I always use the, the uh, Kuyu Mountain Star two-person tent. Um, now, you guys, you know, depending on how big a guy you are, you, you could absolutely just take one tent and you guys just get to know each other really, really well. <laughs> Been there. Um, We've done that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, when I've gone on these dull sheep hunts and mountain goat hunts and stuff, I, I like having my own tent. So mm-hmm. I'm perfectly uh, fine you know, carrying the, the, the Kuyu Mountain uh, Star two-person tent and having all of my own gear inside my tent. Um, so if it were me, I would probably take uh, your own shelter. Uh, if you guys decide that, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to spoon uh, every <laughs> night, that's fine too, because you're going to save a bunch of weight when you do that. Yeah. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and to something you were saying that I said about in my mind, when you're actually chasing and hunting elk, you don't want to have your whole camp on your back if you can help it. Mm-hmm. So the way I would be prepping for that hunt is I would be talking to as many people as I can. I would be doing as much research as I can of what are some good areas where you have multiple areas of, yeah, you walk a mile this way and you're into elk. You walk a mile this way, you're into elk. And basically... You can go in, set a base camp, go collect all your water, get your camp set up, and then just go start, you know, shotgunning and hitting these different spots. Now you spend two or three days in there and you say, well, we've seen everything in here and or we've blown everything out and we think we need we've heard about this other area. Then you can pack up your camp, move to another location, maybe hunt along the way, possibly if you have to drop your backpack or something, you know, to, to chase after a bull, that's one thing. Make sure you mark your backpack. But, um, <laughs> and then get into another area and spend two or three or four days. So I would kind of have it figured where you're not just going to hunt as you go. You're going to go, you're going to set up, and then you're going to hunt out of there until you either establish that, hey, what we're, this is not the area we're looking for. We haven't found what we want. And now we're going to go try, you know, area B or area C or area D, or you get to your spot that you want to go and you find out the guys just rode horses right through there and dropped off, you know, you know, six other hunters right in the exact spot. So I would plan it out where you have, you know, four, five, six different options within the unit where there's handful, you know, of areas that you can kind of hit from a central base camp. Uh, and, you know, approach it like that. Even if that means packing out, going to your vehicle and driving, you know, 15 miles away over on the other side of the unit Mm -hmm. and going to a completely different spot, I would have the ability to go mobile or be as mobile as possible, uh, for sure in that Mm -hmm. situation on that, on that hunt. Yeah. So you've talked a couple times about, you know, the pack itself and, and dropping your pack and this and that. Uh, what do you usually look for in a backcountry style pack that you're going to be overnight camping out of? So I want, you know, I'm, I use the Kuyu, um, ultra 7,000. Uh, the, the new pack is the, uh, the new pro pack 6,000. They also make a 7,800. I want to have a pack that I can also, if I'm day hunting, I, I can get all my gear in there, okay? Mm-hmm. Then I can shrink it down, take everything out, tighten all the straps up, and it's basically just like a, you know, a day pack that's not very heavy. You know, being lightweight is huge, but being able to, and that's what I like about the Kuyu pack. You know, I can take the 7800 and take all my food in there, um, you know, use the load hauler system where, you know, the, the bag pulls away from the frame and you can still put bags of meat inside and that kind of stuff, or excuse me, between the, the, the pack frame and the, 
uh, bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the on the other hand, where if you're just day hunting, you know, you can take a few of your essentials. Uh, you can even drop off uh, some of the, you know, the carrying pockets and stuff and shrink that bag down. So it's modularity is what I look for in that situation where you're not going to need it. But if you kill an elk and you're a mile from camp, you don't have to go back and, you know, get some other pack. You can just basically expand that out. So I like those 7,000 and up cubic inch packs myself. Uh, especially on an elk hunt. I mean, you guys are going to have your hands full if you kill one uh, <laughs> in there. You're going to have multiple trips probably out to your vehicle and back. Uh, the likelihood of you guys, you know, being able to carry your whole camp and, uh, you know, sp- a split up elk is probably unlikely. So, yeah. Um, you know, but definitely going with a pack that you can, you can, it's a modularity pack where you can break it down um, when you're just using it for a day pack is huge. Yeah. So a big pack like that could possibly get really heavy. Like you said, what, uh, I think your boots are a pretty good part of the equation there as far as getting, getting a lot of weight out. What, what does your footwear look like? Cause I know some guys in, in dry or arid climates will a lot of times wear like a, you know, a trail runner or something like that. Um, but what are you, what are you using? Man, I, you know, I'm 46 now. The trail runner to me and carrying heavy weight is just, it just doesn't mix at all. Um, you know, I think those Kuyu Rebel K boots are about as good, you know, they're a technical boot and they may be a little extreme for the amount of verticality that you'll have. Um, verticality a word uh, the amount of, I, mean, I, like the amount I think george bush said it once so yeah. it's gotta be if george said it then it is a word That's right. you know, um, uh, the amount of vertical it's probably a little bit of overkill because you know there are places i've heard in there that are pretty steep but you know maybe not like mountain goat or or doll sheep steep mm-hmm. uh but you know having a stiff soled boot under heavy weight i think is is huge um, and then, you know, there's a lot of good synthetic boots out there. You know, the old standby leather, I used to wear the Schnee's granite pretty much on all of those, you know, backcountry sheep hunts and all those hunts where I'm going to be out pounding around, but they're so heavy. You know, these days, the, some of these synthetic boots, they're so light and the amount of weight that you save on each step, you know, if, if your boot is a pound and a half or two pounds lighter, that makes all the difference in the world sometimes, but I don't think the trail runner, I don't think the, oh, the running shoe mentality is good when you're going to be packing out a whole elk between the two of you. I would go with more of a sturdy boot. You know, I would definitely get something that's, you know, in that, let's call it a six to 10 inch type boot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to give you a little bit more support for sure. Yeah. And along with and that, then, Go ahead. Something that just came to my mind, though, too, and it's kind of off that subject, is make sure you guys have a real good understanding of where the trail systems are in that unit. From what I understand, there are quite a bit of trails and know where, hey, if I kill an elk here, the, you know, the fastest way out, the easiest way out. And sometimes it's longer, but the easier way out of carrying weight is on a trail rather than just bushwhacking across across country. Right. Um, you know, and that's where, you know, I'm a big proponent of OnX maps, and there's other great mapping, um, you know, software out there as well. But you know, have a good map where you know where the trails to be able to get in and out of that country is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's something that uh, has been pretty handy. Is on OnX, not only can you put the the trails on there, but it'll show you the the steepness or severity of the trails, so you can see you know which ones you're going to be gaining elevation quickly and which ones are flatter and stuff like that, which is kind of handy, especially when you start plotting you know, entry and exit routes, you don't want to just kill yourself trying to get in there. And when you could, you know, take a different trail, that's going to be a lot easier for you. But, uh, yeah. And I would also take, um, you know, whether you use them or not, uh, going in, you know, a trekking pole or two, Mm -hmm. or maybe two trekking poles where each one of you can each have a trekking pole. Once you do kill one and, you know, you start heading out to me, I wish I would have used trekking poles a lot earlier. Um, I think I've, you know, my knees are pretty good, but it seems like every year that goes by, I feel my knees a little bit more. And I think I abused them when I was uh, younger. And, and, you know, even though you say, well, I, I, I don't need them, I would tell you if you use it as a standard practice, 
um, on all your hunts of once you get weight to use a trekking pole. It's amazing. I won't go anywhere personally without two trekking poles. To me, it takes uh, all of the pressure off of my knees and going uphill and downhill, especially downhill, mm-hmm. gives me a lot more stability. So that might be something you might think about. Oh, yeah, for sure. And honestly, I, I just purchased some not long ago for that uh, this summer trip that we took just to try it out. And I'll, I'll confess, I am a standard uncoordinated white boy. It takes a little <laughs> bit of getting used to trying to figure out, you know, uh, when to put which pole down and that sort of thing. But it's a ton of help. Uh, yeah, you kind of get the hang of it the more you do it, yeah. um, and it'll become second nature. But I can tell you with heavy weight, uh, you know, especially side hilling and, and, you know, probably trying to get to to and from the trails, carrying weight, it makes all the difference in the world. And I just think it, it takes a lot of um, stress off your off your body, especially your knees. Um, and literally I, I don't, I, they're in my pack all the time. I don't go anywhere without them. Even on these summer scouting trips, you know, whatever, I always have my, my trekking poles. Yeah. So speaking of taking stress off the, the pad, the sleeping pad is like a big deal for me. I have, I have an old injury in my back. And so, uh, I just interested in what pad you use when you do stay out in it. I use that, um, Thermarest Neo Air. Uh Uh-huh. And gosh, I don't know how big the tubes are once they're inflated, but they're, it, it's, the only thing is it's a little bit, um, crinkly, I would say when Mm -hmm. you sleep, that would be my only gripe if you're a real soft sleeper. But you know, if you're working hard and, you know, grinding, you're going to fall asleep and, you know, you could probably just fall asleep right on the you know ground with no pad. You're going to be so tired. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I've used that, uh, uh, I've used that Neo air on, I mean, th- lately the goat hunt, uh, the, the both doll sheep hunts last summer, uh, you know, and then trips here and there scouting for sheep and what have you. I really like it. It's super lightweight. You know, I think I like a full length pad. I'm six two, uh, uh, you know, like Fletch six, six with an at, with the Afro, <laughs> um, you guys are probably too young to have seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm six two, uh, and I like a full size pad. You know, like Brady Miller over at Go Hunt. You know, he'll take this little pad that's like two feet. You know, it's like, golly, I don't know that I could do that. Brady Miller's crazy. He does (laughs) tennis shoes. He cuts his toothbrush in half, you know. Yeah. He's a different guy. He's he's a different breed. (laughs) And I keep, you know, I've told him before, like, hey, when you get to 46 and you're still wearing tennis shoes, uh, I'll be surprised. (laughs) But, you know, he is an animal for sure. Uh, But I like a full-length pad. I like to get a good night's sleep, and I'm willing to take a little bit extra weight to have a full-size sleeping pad. Mm -hmm. And I I use that uh, Neo Air. What temperature bag can you get away with in the Southwest during that time of year? So I sleep uh, pretty hot, Mm -hmm. and I typically carry that Kuyu um, 30-degree bag. Mm -hmm. I would think that that would be plenty um, because I, you know, on my Northwest territories, uh, hunt and on that mountain goat hunt in Alaska, I took the 30 degree bag and I was perfect. I did take the 15 degree on the Chugach, but you know, there were days that it didn't get over 45 degrees. You mm-hmm. guys will have temperatures, probably lows and possibly like the high twenties, low thirties as low. And, you know, you could get up 70, 80 degrees. So, I mean, I would think a 30 degree bag I mean, you could even go with, you know, something in that 40, 40 plus, uh, you know, and then just, you know, wear, wear, you know, your Merino or wear your synthetic, whatever you're going to wear on top and, you know, wear your beanie and kind of layer up. So Mm -hmm. whatever system you're taking, I would definitely, you know, I just don't see the temperatures getting cold enough where you need anything below a 30 degree bag. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's, that's kind of what I've been looking at, you know, just, you don't want to overkill, but at the same time, man, some nights uh, I've been out there, especially in, in northwestern or northeastern Arizona, where 
it can be warm in the day and then it can plummet, you know, when it gets later at night. So I know that the, the big swings in temperature are kind of what, what to worry about, but for the most yeah, part, you it's guys will be spooning anyway. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, body heat does wonders. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, when you talk about temperature, it kind of makes meat care come to mind. And yes, of course, uh, we're going to be doing our best to get it out as quick as possible. And I got a number for a, a packer if we think we need them. You know, we can get them on the on the inReach or whatever. Uh, but um, either way, meat is going to have to sit for some period of time out there. So uh, if you're lucky enough to be able to, to let it sit overnight, I'm sure it can cool, you know, pretty well. But do you have any tricks or tactics for, for making sure that you are able to get the meat out in good shape? Yeah, I would take some string where you can hang that meat up, you know, take some small, fine string, rope, twine, mm-hmm. whatever you call it, and pick your spot where you're going to, you know, get the most shaded area you can. You've got to keep that meat in the shade. Um, try and keep in mind, you know, where's the afternoon sun, where's the morning sun. Try and get that in an area where it's going to be covered as much out of the sun as possible. Get that meat up off the ground where air can blow through it. You know, let it blow through your game bags. And, you know, the reality is you're going to have to get it out as quickly as possible. Uh, You know, I've seen things where, you know, guys go hang it down right above a creek and, you know, they say that that cools it and what have you, you know. I just don't know that you're going to have like cool mountain streams and that kind of stuff in mm-hmm. this country. You might, I, I don't know it well enough. Um, but the, you know, the real thing is get the hide off of it immediately. Those elk, you know, you got to roll them around, get all of the meat off, get the hide off and get that meat hanging. And then just start making as many trips as you can, as quick as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think there's any real, you know, you're going to have warm temperatures as it is. So you're going to have to find the shadiest spot you can to hang that meat. And, you know, there you have to worry about bears. So you're going to want to get it up where, you know, you don't come back and the bears are just all over it. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Now, what about um, having, like, adequate storage when you get back to the vehicle? Uh, that's something we haven't really thought too much about. I mean, we've got a bunch of coolers. Would you just put a bunch of dry dry ice in the coolers before you leave and just hope it's there when you get back? Yeah, I mean, you could do dry ice and keep those coolers sealed. Um, you know, that 10-day period, you know, you, you, you might have to test it, test your cooler now before you go and see how many days. Try and simulate roughly the same amount of temperature that it's going to be in in your vehicle and see if, you know, some of these coolers these days, um, you know, whether it be Yeti or Canyon or Grizzly or whatever cooler, um, they're pretty darn good. Uh, but the reality is more than that, I would look at, um, you know, is there someone that you could call that could be on standby that you could come bring me to? They take it into, you know, somewhere to hang it, mm-hmm. whether they're going to process it for you or going to process your own. Uh, is there anybody I do some research and find out if there's any meat lockers or, you know, coolers around where, you know, and hey, I've got a buddy that lives in, you know, this town. And he said, yeah, if you kill it and bring it to, you know, this this waypoint, he'll meet up with us. He'll take that load of meat in and, and hang it in the cooler. Uh, so those are something to think about as well. Uh, you know, the coolers in your truck, you know, 10 days, that's that's a long time. So I, I, I don't have a ton of faith in the dry ice theory. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need some big coolers as well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you can try it. I would try right now and say, okay, how long is the dry ice? You know, is it going to last 10 days? And you may find that if you don't open it, it easily lasted 10 days. And, you know, therefore if you kill a bull on the ninth day, you can pull it out and, you know, open that cooler and throw some meat in there. And it's going to be cooler than just sitting in a cooler with no ice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think just above all, the imperative thing would be to get it to good ice as quick as possible, no matter whatever you got to do in that situation uh something else and cut some of those bigger chunks of meat and and you know cut them up where you know you don't have those real thick chunks of meat that that you know that's not cooling cut Mm -hmm. it into smaller pieces so you can get it you know cooled as quick as possible yeah for sure and something that we kind of started out talking about this a little bit but this is going to be you know a trophy hunt right and i hope to take a bull out that's going to be you know shoulder mount worthy um it's going to be kind of difficult to pack out the hide and the antlers and all that. So is there a, a specific technique you use for, 
for doing that? Do you bring the skull out or do you, do you skull cap them in the back country? I would probably skull cap it. If it were me, mm-hmm. I would definitely not bring the skull. I would skull cap it. And then the other thing you look at is, you know, you're going to have a cape and it's going to weigh a lot, you know, <laughs> a lot, you know, yeah, it's going to weigh 30 or 40 pounds. <laughs> so you may say, well, geez, I can, you know, elk capes are very readily available. Do you want a mount that's not your cape? That's one question. Yeah. Uh, the other question is, you know, maybe you go into it and say, you know, unless it's certain size, I'm just going to skull cap it and I'm not going to bring the cape out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I think about it, I really think you guys ought to have someone that is available on the inReach or on the sat phone and that will be able to come in with horses uh, and 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 get that elk out especially if you want to mount it for for the meat sake and the cape sake have someone that you know and there's got to be outfitters there and guys with horses that for a mm-hmm. certain fee they'll come right in and grab whatever you need um i i would highly you know you guys are biting off a lot um <laughs> you know to go in there just the two of you so i would i would definitely consider um you know just skull capping it and you know, not bringing out the cape would be maybe what I would think and buying a cape, you know, if you're, you know, you're going to have, well, a lot of it depends on how close you are to your vehicle. Yes, for sure. If you're two or three miles, then yeah, you can get every bit of it out. No problem with a handful of trips. You know, if you get, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 miles away, you're going to, it's going to be a chore for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, that's really the purchasing a Cape is something I haven't thought about it. There is a little bit of it's like, man, are you losing like, you know, some of the mojo or something if you do that, but you know, practicality is king in this situation, you know, well, what's going well, to make the, the most sense. Yeah. And I mean, the key is to get the meat out first yeah, and foremost. For sure. And you know, the, those capes, the, the challenge that we all deal with in the Southwest, especially Arizona and New Mexico, is the temperatures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they you know, it, it stuff can spoil very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would, I would probably, if it were me and I had that tag, I would have someone with horses or mules on standby, ready to go when you shoot them coordinates and know that they can be there, you know, within, you know, five or six hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have everything ready, have everything in bags, everything hung up, everything cooling so that they just come in, they grab it. Uh, and, you know, I think there's strings of horses and mules kind of going in and out of that unit all the time. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely make arrangements ahead of time to have someone that says, yep, you kill it. You give me the coordinates. I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's definitely one of the options for sure. And I think that I'm going to be kind of where you were saying where I'm not going to tell them yes for sure, but uh, I've talked to a couple people and they said, yeah, if you're pretty far back, you know, then we'll come if you think you're close enough for the truck to pack it out, no big deal kind of thing. So it's kind of nice right. that they, they give you that option. All right, Jay, so you've, you've killed your big bull in the Healy unit um, and got it packed out. You actually had to do it yourself, so you're real tired, you and your friends. Um, what are you going to sit down to a plate of to recover from all that, hard strenuous pack out me i'm gonna go find a double chubby cheeseburger somewhere. <laughs> that's what that's i'm talking what I'm about man yes that's, yeah. there's nothing like the greasy cheeseburger after leaving the mountain i don't know what you got, it is you're talking to a, a hamburger and fry lover so i mean <laughs> it, you know anything that i could find either that or mexican food and and um yeah you know there's such a kick right now and it's been going on with you know people eating all kinds of crazy healthy stuff and that's phenomenal and they'll probably live twice as long as i will but um i I, there's nothing to me like a big old chubby cheeseburger maybe with some green chilies and a big old plate of fries and um you know i i uh the only thing that gets me by and allows me to keep hunting like i do is you know i in colorado for the whole summer i try and hike every day and i do in arizona when i'm home uh, a lot of great trails around the, the Scottsdale Phoenix area, but, uh, 
I try and, uh, you know, exercise as much as I can and I eat like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tyler and I say that all the time. Like we don't work out so that we'll be healthy. We just work out so that like we don't get super big and can still go hunt. You know, that's the whole thing. It's yeah. not about being healthy for it, but yeah, if I wasn't married to my wife, I'd weigh 600 pounds <laughs> and, uh, she cooks really, really good, healthy meals. Now she is the opposite. She does eat like a bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she obviously looks like it. She has no body fat. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm just a blue blooded American that loves cheeseburgers. So yeah, I hear you, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. I would imagine that there's going to be multiple cheeseburger and Mexican food stops on the way home from, uh, Western New Mexico. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're in the heart of Mexican food for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, what's cool is it's green chili country, which, you know, we love our jalapenos here in Texas, but, uh, man, green chilies, they're. I'm not saying they're better, but man, it's a good change. Yep. They're tasty for sure. Yeah. Um, Jay, we could probably ask you questions until September 14th, but <laughs> I, I guess uh, it's we're kind of running kind of long here, and I really appreciate yep. your time. And I know that most of the questions we have can be answered over on your podcast. So, where can we direct our listeners to uh, listen to more of this? So, you know, um, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, you know, if anybody wants to kind of follow along they can on my instagram uh it's at j scott outdoors uh and then if you're in the podcast obviously you're listening to this one um <laughs> you can just type in itunes or anywhere you find podcasts j scott outdoors uh western big game hunting and fishing podcast or just j scott podcast usually pulls it up and uh yeah guys you guys have a great adventure um coming up and i can tell you're super excited about it so i'm anxious to watch um how how everything goes and i hope you guys will send me some success photos uh and i hear those bulls in the wilderness uh there uh can bugle good and the calling can be phenomenal and you guys have the second hunt which i think is better uh and so i think you're going to have some really good encounters i think you're going to have some good bugling um you know those new mexico bulls are a little bit finicky compared to some of the other states especially arizona uh, so, you know, if they're bugling really good, the only advice I'd give you is, you know, maybe call less and, and, uh, sneak a little bit more and, and, uh, you should do really, really well. Yeah. That's awesome, Jay. Thanks so much for the hot fist there. Uh, now we can't really handle ourselves, so. <laughs> but, uh, we're excited, man. And you're right. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the well wishes and, uh, good luck to you this season too, man. Your new endeavor sounds super cool and like kind of a dream for a lot of people to just to be able to manage their own elk ranch. So that's, uh, that's pretty awesome, dude. Thanks so much for the time, Jay. We really appreciate it. All right, buddy. When you go to shoot, shoot to kill, okay? All right, we will. (laughs) Thanks, man. All right, take care. Man, that was some killer info. If you found this interview helpful, be sure and leave us a review below and comment what you thought was the most helpful tip from this episode. For sure. Make sure you also follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, and also subscribe on YouTube so you can see how these hunts turn out. Remember, this is your element. Live in it. (laughs) Been waiting my whole life for that. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.